back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Shit podcast. We're on episode five, uh, and today we're going to be talking about motivation. And so what we're going to be addressing with motivation is understanding the different types of motivation, uh, the different motivators that apply to each individual in your organization, and then how to repair a demotivated member of that organization. And that's something that we brought up in previous episodes, and I'm sure is a problem that people are routinely running into and find that to be a roadblock. Don't really know how to get around it. So we're going to dive deep into all of those things. But like always, first, I've got the history segment for today. Uh, And this is something that immediately upon choosing this topic, I already knew what the history segment was going to be. To me, this is somebody that uh, is linked to me um, because of my rate. I do a lot of research on the history of the culinary specialist rating just for my own interest, like I've talked about in previous episodes, I'm a bit of a history nerd. I collect a lot of things. Uh, I actually have a website dedicated just to culinary specialists. If you ever get a chance to check it out, it's stewburnerstorm.com. So in my research and just with my collecting and everything, part of the research I did was reading a book called The Messman Chronicles. Uh, And it's uh, it's a book that it's about, uh, in 1932, uh, the person... I'm trying to think of the name. It was like the chief of uh, naval personnel, but it was a different title, uh, and it was specifically for enlisted personnel. At Bupers, made the decision uh, to to allow African Americans to enlist in the military again. Uh, so this was in 1932 when this decision was made, and it was only to be an officer steward or what they called a messman. And so this book chronicles the readmits of African Americans into the military. Uh, and it primarily focuses on the messman, the messman rate in the Navy. But it does that because uh, that's the only way they were allowed to come into the Navy at the time. Uh, so I highly encourage you to check that book out uh, if you get the opportunity. It's actually written by a retired uh, hospital corpsman chief. Um, and it, it's really great and gives a lot of insight uh, into that time period. It talks about some naval uh, heroes that you may rec- whose names you may recognize, like Dory Miller. But anyway, I digress. So the reason I bring that up is because uh, the history segment today is about Carl Brashear. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that Carl Brashear, when he first came into the Navy, he came in as a messman. He came in as an officer steward. Uh, It's all he was allowed to do. And while serving uh, on an aircraft carrier in 1950, he saw a mission to salvage a fighter plane that had fallen overboard. And I'm going to quote him now. And he said, A Navy diver with helmet and diving suit was sent out to the ship and went down 50 feet to attach lines to the plane. Everyone on the ship was looking at him. No one had ever paid much attention to me, and I immediately thought that diving was something I wanted to do. Keeping in mind that in 1950, uh, the military was still segregated, essentially, uh, where, I mean, informally, really, where in 1950, African Americans were only allowed to serve in the Smithson branch. Uh, where they served as officer stewards. Uh, and so Carl Brashear decides he's going to be a diver uh, and was extremely motivated to do this. And he wrote hundreds and hundreds of letters uh, until he was finally admitted to the Navy Diving and Salvage School in 1954. And during his time there, uh, it wasn't like he was just another student in another school. He wanted this so bad that he endured harassment and death threats uh, on his way to graduating the school and becoming uh, a Navy diver. And so one of the and then one of the incidents that made him famous beyond just what he's done so far, uh, which seems in and of itself to be a pretty significant accomplishment, is that in January 1966, in an accident no, now known as the Palomares incident, a nuclear bomb was lost off the coast of Palomares, Spain, uh, after two United States Air Force aircraft collided during refueling. Uh, Brashear was serving on the USS Hoist ARS. when it was dispatched to find and recover the missing bomb for the Air Force. The warhead was found after two and a half months of searching. During the bomb recovery, Chief Brashear, who was topside kind of overseeing the recovery, noticed a line parting that put a shipmate in peril, and in shoving him out of harm's way, nearly lost his leg. He was later awarded the Navy and Marine Corps Medal, which is, like we've talked about previously, is the highest uh, Navy award for non-combat heroism. Uh, so he, he shoved the kid out of the way, and, and the, the line, when it parted, basically grabbed a piece of piping off it, the aircraft that had landed on the flight deck. And uh, when it brought it back as the line parted, it, it nearly sheared off Chief Brashear's leg. 
Uh, so now I'm going to read his Navy and Marine Corps medal citation. The President of the United States of America takes pleasure in presenting the Navy and Marine Corps Medal to Chief Boatswain's Mate Carl Maxey Brashear, United States Navy, for heroism while serving aboard USS Hoist, ARS-40, which was operating in support of Task Force 65 on 23 March 1966 in connection with salvage operations of great importance to the United States, while engaged in transferring stores from a landing craft to hoist in heavy seas off the coast of Spain, Chief Brashear saw the bow line of the landing craft part. Realizing that the shipmate standing in the stern of the aircraft was in serious jeopardy if the heavily strained stern line also parted, he unhesitatingly pushed his shipmate to safety but was seriously injured himself when the stress from the remaining line caused a portion of the craft to carry away and hit him in the leg. By his prompt and courageous actions in saving another man from injury or possible death, Chief Brashear, at the risk of his own life, upheld the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. So we get to this point, and it's kind of like you could stop here, and this man's a hero, right? I, I mean, it, his motive, <laughs> the, the, the topic being motivation, just the things that he, he did over his career leading up to this point his unbelievable motivation to get to where he is standing on the deck of the USS Hoist as a as a chief petty officer and as a navy diver in the climate that was existed in the navy at the time is absolutely unbelievable but this isn't even i mean we're not even halfway there yet so Brashear remained at the Naval Regional Medical Center in Portsmouth from May 1966 until March 1967 recovering and rehabilitating from the amputation so they took his leg completely off during the recovery period because of infections and stuff. Uh, so from March 1967 to March 1968, Brashear was assigned to Harbor Clearance Unit 2 Diving School, preparing for return to full active duty in diving. So he lost his leg, and it didn't even cross his mind for a second that, oh, well, I get, you know, I'm going to pack it in and go home. Uh, and, I, I mean, there, who would have who looked at him at any, as any less of a man or, or a sailor or anything for doing so. I mean, that happens at a regular basis today where, I mean, injuries happen and, and people are unable to continue their service and they're medically retired. But Chief Rashir was not willing to accept that. And he his his dream was to be a Navy diver and to be a master diver. And he wasn't going to let anybody take that away from him. Uh, so he pursues being reinstated on active duty as a Navy diver. And so another quote from during his rehabilitation is, Sometimes I would come back from a run and my artificial leg would have a puddle of blood from my stump. I wouldn't go to sickbay. Uh, in that year, if I had gone to sickbay, they would have written me up and I'd, I would go somewhere and hide and soak my leg in a bucket of hot water with salt in it, which was an old remedy. Uh, then I'd get up the next morning and run again. Who who could be so internally motivated as to, as to do stuff like this? It's absolutely incredible to me that he was able to push this hard. And then in April 1968, after going through all these things, he was the first amputee diver to be recertified as a U.S. Navy diver. In 1970, he became the first African-American U.S. Navy master diver in its history and then served 10 more years on active duty, achieving the rating of Master Chief Boson's Mate. Two of his favorite quotes are, it's not a sin to get knocked down, it's a sin to stay down. And I ain't going to let nobody steal my dream. Okay, Uh, If this guy's not the walking, talking embodiment of motivation, I mean, in life, let alone just in the the Navy, it's just, the story blows my mind. Uh, Never, ever even thought about quitting. Um, And there's some other stuff that doesn't really make its way into the story. Where I mean, he say he sacrificed a lot to the point where I mean, he put it, everything that he dreamt of doing in the way of in the Navy and being a diver in front of his family. He went through divorces, uh, had a really hard time in his personal life. But I mean, with all that on his, on his mind, on top of this, and just accomplishing what he accomplished, and so many different levels. Uh, if he if Master Chief is not the literal embodiment of motivation. I don't know what it is. And that's why I wanted to talk about it today. I wanted to give that kind of an example where, I mean, think about the things that you face on a daily basis that you think are hard. Just, I mean, just flip them over in your mind for a second. You think that these things, getting up early in the morning is tough or, or you know, getting out for a run a couple times a week to make sure you can pass a PRT is tough. Go back and read this story again. Do your own research and and look into his story. 
you want to talk about hard and and unwavering in his pursuit of his goal no matter what got thrown in his way from his, from things as simple as when he was all the way back in diving a salvage school the the obstacles that were put in his way and he just i mean didn't even blink just smiled back and kept pushing uh and, and accomplished everything he set out to accomplish um it's an ac- absolutely incredible story and it's a story I, I encourage you to use in your motivation of your sailors uh, and motivation is what we're going to talk about today so one of the ter- one of the things you hear pretty commonly is the only easy day was yesterday. It's kind of in one of the Navy SEALs taglines. Um, it's very true in that um, n- you know you never even know what's going to happen today, and the only easy day to, that there is to stay motivated and get through and do what we got to do uh, is the day that's already passed, where you don't have to continuously put the work in and grind and get done what you need to get done and stay motivated while you're doing it. I tell new chiefs every year when they're when they're selected and we first start having the conversation with them, they all have almost like this relief on their face when they find out they're selected because they just spent probably half of a career, if not longer, getting to this incredibly significant career milestone. So they've all all got this just like, ah, I've arrived. You know, they just got this look on their face like, you know, I finally did it. Yeah. And they and they have every, you know, every right to feel that way. I'm not trying to say that they don't, but they don't quite know what they've gotten themselves into either because it's kind of, you, you have that little tiny moment and then it's taken away from you when the chiefs sit you down and, and remind you that, you know, the hard part's not over. Like the hard part just started. The hard part just began. And I'm not even just talking about, you know, our six week training cycle during phase two. I'm talking about the day after you pin your anchors on. Like the, that's when the hard part begins. Uh, when you are actually pulling out a uniform of a chief and doing it the right way every day and, and being a really great chief uh, for, for the sailors that you lead, that's the that's what the day the hard part begins is is actually living up to that role. You know, when we talk about motivation, you know, you need to understand motivation as a concept, how to leverage the motivators uh, of the people that you're, you're leading and how critical that is, is the, your success uh, in your own leadership development and the development of those that you lead. And I say that in understanding that uh, it, it's going to be a daily thing. Okay, it's constantly going to be a daily thing, not just for yourself, but for the for those that you lead. There's not one push button fix all, and then you're going to arrive at some place where you're going to get there, and you're going to be like, ah, I've arrived, and it's over. It's 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 not over. It's never over. Uh, it's a it's a consistent strain, consistent steady strain. All right, so you stay forward leaning with it. Uh, so we're going to talk about motivation uh, as a general concept, and then the specific motivators of different personalities because they are all very different. And then how to maximize performance uh, with the knowledge that you have of these motivators and like how to how to exploit them, uh, because that's what's important is you need to understand how you can take advantage uh, of this to get the best result, not just for the professional development of the sailor, but to get the organization moving forward towards mission accomplishment. First, I'm going to define it. And I've got two definitions that I thought were really interesting and they're kind of linked together. And I'll, and I'll put that together in a minute. But uh, the first definition uh, of motivation is the general desire or willingness of someone to do something. So it's the desire that someone has to do whatever it is that we're talking about. Uh, and this is kind of the first thing you'd think about when you, you, you're discussing motivation as, as a definition is trying to get someone to desire to do something. We want them to want to do something and we got to try to figure out how to create that desire. And this is where you get into uh, what we'll talk about in a minute, where you have kind of the different types of motivations, which is intrinsic and extrinsic, which is really just internal, external. The other, the, So the second definition is the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. So they're, they're linked in that there's a desire or willingness for someone to do something, and then the reason why they're doing it or why they're behaving a certain way would be the second one. Uh, and life experience builds a frame of reference for us that, that is where this comes from, where we get our reasons for, for doing what we do and, and kind of why we do it. Uh, and it's dynamic in ways that you, at the beginning, how you were raised, uh, where you were raised, what happened when you were being raised earlier in life, um, when you were raised even to generational gaps it all kind of shapes the very beginnings and the foundation of your frame of reference and and your life experience but then it's dynamic and that it continuously develops based on how you progress in life the path you decide to take the experiences that you go through on your way to getting to where you are now and in standing in front of uh, the leader 
uh, they're dynamic and that they're consistently developing and they're developing through that life experience. And so the frame of reference can consistently change and develop as we go along. The, there's the two things where you've got the, the desire or the willingness to do something and then the reason why you're doing it. And they're both very important. And we're going to talk about why. But first, we're going to talk about the types of motivation. So I mentioned it a minute ago. We got extrinsic and intrinsic or, or external and internal. And so external motivation comes from external influences. So this means that an individual needs some kind of external event uh, to continually influence their motivation to complete a task. So it, it, they consistently need this ex- external influence. It's not something like we, we mentioned a little bit earlier where you just push a button and then it's over. It's something that needs to be renewed. It needs to happen regularly. It can't just happen once and then that's gonna fuel them forever. Uh, some examples of these external motivations are things like financial uh, external motivations. So this can come uh, from some kind of a bonus like an SRB or a pay raise through a promotion, right? Or, or some kind of even uh, prize money, like they accomplished something and there was a cash prize for it. Uh, there's like essay contests out there or even like college scholarships or anything to that effect. Um, so financial is always something that uh, is a motivation in some way. And then it's an external motivator, and sometimes it can, you know, it's used by the Navy as an incentive to keep to retain someone in the military. And there's other financial, like special duty pays or assignment pays or whatever, to help retain people and motivate them to either stay in certain rates or uh, stick around in the Navy at all, or uh, go to certain duty stations or, or what have you. And so that's a motivator that, in order to kind of get somebody to do something like stay in the Navy, it's not, it's not. Usually one SRB is going to get somebody to decide to stay in the Navy for 20 years. You've got them for that one enlistment. And then next time it comes around again, uh, it it may be like with kind of like nuclear trained personnel where it's like those bonuses just keep on rolling in because their skills are in such high demand, not just in the Navy, but in the civilian workforce. Awards and recognition is another one. So some kind of public recognition of their successes or accomplishments. So the examples that we use, like the sale of the quarter, sale of the year program, or at the level most of uh, you are at, or like the blue jacket of the quarter of the year, or junior sale of the quarter, sale of the year, or even awards like uh, Navy Achievement Medals, flag letters, uh, volunteer medals, uh, all the way down to like little things like an of the week or of the month award something that effect uh they're they're all things that provide a visual recognition put you out in front kind of kind of reinforce the behavior uh that got you there in the first place but it's a reward it's a it's a very tangible thing that they can put their hands on and that it's external in that it comes from an outside source that's recognizing uh whatever positive thing that they think they did or they actually did or even liberty like we talked about in previous episodes with junior sailors a, a pretty great external motivator is, is liberty it's something that uh if they if you tell them this is what we got to get done today. And as soon as we're done with it, uh, you guys can get out of here for the day. You're going to see everybody turn in and burn it, especially if you actually follow up on that and let them go, which you should if you say that. Uh, and then just praise, like desire for a person or organization to publicly praise and or credit uh, them with outstanding performance. Uh, so it could be like individually from a leader or a coworker, like they're just seeking that praise from that one person that they look up to or it could be like a they they desire public praise from an important figure in the organization like the CEO at all hands call or at quarters for someone to call them out and say hey you know this person or division did a great job so when we talk about all these things too when I first was putting together this outline I kind of thought the way I, I present this that some people might kind of look at them like like external things are sometimes on or should be unnecessary and that they're just good things to reinforce positive behavior. And they are, that is one of the great things about them is that they do positively reinforce good behavior. And that's an extremely necessary thing is that when someone is doing something the right way, I mean, like the whole goal of this whole thing is to get people to do what you want them to do, to get them to desire to perform an action uh, that is is beneficial to not only them, but the organization and mission accomplishments. So if they're doing those things, I want to positively reinforce, reinforce that with awards and recognition. I want them to know that, yes, you are. that is what I want you to do. You are doing exactly what I want you to do, how I want you to do it. And in doing that, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to recognize you. Uh, I'm going to do what I can to positively reinforce that behavior. But also understand that you need to do this judiciously. You need to only be reinforcing those positive behaviors. All right, we don't hand out participation trophies for a reason, uh, because I don't want them to become dependent on on positive feedback or positive reinforcement when they're not 
positively performing in the way that I, I, I need them to do uh, because it'll lose it effect, its effectiveness uh, it'll, and it'll also negatively affect the per- people that are performing, the people that are actually performing at the level you want them to. If you're, if you're positively reinforcing everyone and just kind of everybody gets a turn on the awards podium, even though they're not performing at nearly high as a level, high as a level as a person standing next to them, you're going to lose that person standing next to them. You're going to lose uh, their motivation to, to perform at a high level if everybody's just going to get the same award anyway. Uh, so now internal motivation. So internal motivation uh, comes from internal influences and their motivators are linked to an internal belief system and a work ethic that were built by the previous life experience that we talked about earlier, building that frame of reference. Uh, our deepest, darkest, in places we don't talk about type desires have the greatest motivational power. Uh, so my you know, desire to lead someone or take care of them or, or do whatever I'm doing or say it's like my desire to make something of myself or my desire to to be the McPond someday or whatever it is and I have no desire to be the McPond just throwing that out there <laughs> but, um, but whatever whatever it is that you you truly truly deep down desire to be are those are the most powerful motivators and those are kind of the ones I try to look for first even though they're the hardest ones to get somebody to uh, share with you because they're they're uh, usually very personal to that to that individual. Uh, those are going to be the most powerful motivators. So those are kind of always the ones that I'm looking for because they're going to get the most out of the person. Uh, and some examples of that are acceptance. So at some level, everybody seeks this as part as far as being part of a team uh, and contributing to the common goal, or even personal for like friendships. Just some kind of a acceptance of the individual, either by another individual or a group. And in our, our kind of context, it would be as part of the team uh, and the unit or whatever uh, in making them ex- feel accepted. And we and we do a literal version of this during the uh, the phase two season for Chiefs. There's a literal step at the very end um, where they go through kind of a crucible event, and then they, and then they're accept they go through an acceptance exercise where they demonstrate that they're ready and that they understand and that they get it now, and then they're accepted uh, by all the Chiefs. Curiosity, drive to increase level of knowledge through insight. Uh, so feed curiosity when you see it uh, as a motivator. So there's a lot of people out there um, that just want to learn. They just want to be better and learn and, and do more and, and grow. And when you see that, don't don't stifle it. Don't stifle it. Feed that. Uh, the more you can do to uh, increase their level of knowledge and feed that motivation, the more you're going to get out of that person. Uh, and and some, sometimes with the motivation theory, you got to remember that uh, sometimes you're gonna need, you're gonna need to ask of people things that they may not want to do, but because you've taken care of them, you motivate them to take care of you in return. So feeding something like curiosity might not directly benefit you and mission accomplishment right in that moment, but feeding that motivator makes them motivated to contribute. And when you need them to do something, that they can absolutely do it. And then increased level of knowledge is always a good thing and can can very directly impact the mission positively. So. Uh, honor. So drive to drive to be trustworthy, ethical, and demonstrate high character and integrity. Uh, this is one that's very like married to the military uh, and, and kind of the mindset and the character of the individuals coming in. Uh, when we think of the military, honor is very, very linked to that. Uh, so everybody wants to serve honorably and, and be honorable in everything that they do on a daily basis. Uh, and so there's a, a lot of times you will see somebody that has a drive to be that person, to be trustworthy and ethical uh, and demonstrate high character and integrity. And sometimes they're going to need help being shown how to do that. Uh, and so that's a, a motivator by many to uh, be that person. And uh, if you can help facilitate or help them understand in certain situations what it means to be honorable, uh, that will be a very great motivator for those people. Independence. Uh, this could be financial uh, based on a form of dependence on someone or something. Uh, and then to accomplish something on your own, like build my own life or I want to I strike out on my own and, and make my own little piece of life or, or reputation or whatever uh so or, or personal individuality even uh so th- there's a lot that goes into that where they just want to be independent of something whether it be you know, like i said financial or independent of something that they felt dependent on previously so anything you can do to put them in situations where they feel like they can act autonomously they f- or they feel like they're standing on their own two feet or they did this by themselves um with very minimal supervision and help those are those are something where you can kind of push that independence button and get that motivator to work for you. 
order, a process of or framework. So this is another one that's very linked to the military. I very much need order in my life to stay productive. Otherwise, I'll get lazy. Um, so I, I very much benefit from the schedule, from knowing I have to be somewhere at a certain time. I create a lot of order in my own life to keep myself motivated and on the right track. Uh, it's something that I need there's some kind of a plan so that I know what I'm supposed to be doing because if I'm left to just go with the flow in, in a lot of things, uh, I won't go anywhere except the couch. So I need, I need it to stay productive. Uh, and it's something that you can use for, uh, a lot of things. It's something that, I mean, you see, you're going to see all through your time in the military schedules and like the plan of the day. It's something that it does help with good order and discipline. It does help with planning and everybody knowing just what they need to do when they need to do it. Uh, and that's very basic order. Um, but for me, I need a lot of order in my life so that I can stay motivated. And so when you encounter people like me uh, that need that to stay motivated, because if you don't give me that order and you just give me this free flow concept, I'm not going to be productive. Uh, so I know that I need this. And so I make sure that I have it in my life. So when you see those type of people, uh, that's something that you can help create in their life to keep them motivated and headed in the right direction. Power. So this can be a selfish motivation or selfless. Uh, the desire or the, of a leader to have a greater influence in order to help someone progress is kind of the selfless piece of it or the selfish motivation of power just for power's sake. Um, so you can see those things in people and try to help them get there uh, where, where when you see uh, so when you see, you'll, you'll instantly recognize somebody that just wants powers for power for power's sake or for, for their own ego. Uh, and that can be a dangerous thing. And you want to try to work through that and making them understand that, uh, it's not, there's a lot with power comes great responsibility. Right. And then the selfless desire of somebody that you see that has the talent and the aptitude and just potential to be a really good leader. And then you start to see, as that's fed, you kind of see the desire to do that uh, and to be in that position because they want to help others on, on a larger scale. Um, that's something that you can help put by putting them in those positions to, to help motivate them to get to where they want to be. And then status. So we all have the desire to feel important on some level. Uh, again, not always negative, like the popularity contest theory where status, like, you know, people just want to be uh, the cool kid or or whatever, be in, in some kind of uh, an elevated social status, can, it can just be a, a desire to be valued, to feel like they're a valued part of the organization, uh, to feel like their contributions are important and that they're contributing to mission accomplishment by being an important part of the team. And that their little bit, little contribution is very important. Uh, and, and an example of that is like, a, you know, we'd have FSAs in the scullery just doing a very thankless, dirty <laughs> not fun job the majority of the time. Uh, and I had a CEO that would routinely at quarters would call out, you know, that everybody's duty is important from, you know, the commanding officer and the officer of the deck and everybody standing, uh, watching the control room of a submarine all the way down to the people that are, uh, the FSAs and, you know, taking out the trash and scrubbing the floor, uh, and the dishes, they're all contributing on some level in some way to mission accomplishment. And so he would go out of his way to make those people feel valued, uh, and make them feel like their contributions were important and they were. Uh, so that's an example of, of status. Those are the examples of external and internal motivation, but understand that they're dynamic and that they're not, there's not one that applies to a person and that's it. People can be a blend of these. And so most people, uh, even the quietly internally motivated people, uh, will respond to other motivators as well. So like I'm a very internally motivated person. It's, it's definitely the dominant one, but I will respond to other motivators depending on the situation. So, and some of those are external. Uh, so it's, it's important to understand that, like I said, the, the deep down one for me, I'm very internally motivated. So when that's recognized in me, that's how you're going to get the most out of me, but that's not how you're going to get everything out of me because I do need to be valued at some point, And I do need to feel like I I'm a part of the organization or, and sometimes I need to be recognized externally. Like sometimes I, you know, eventually an award would be nice, you know, to positively reinforce what I've been doing to kind of validate that I'm on the right track. So I do want to be valued. So for, for everyone, they're all going to have different motivators, one of which is usually going to be dominant. And then there will be kind of subsets of that. And there's going to be uh, a blend of internal and external. Uh, and then also they can develop uh, with frame of reference. So as life experience kind of develops that frame of reference, the motivators can change what's what's important now could could be more more important or less important later uh, and there's a very intricate and unique belief system associated with someone's frame of reference and so 
Uh, find out what's important to the people that work for you uh, and know your people. Knowing this and taking the time to get to know them is what's going to reveal these motivators uh, to you because they're going to be willing to share that kind of stuff with you. They're going to be willing to share what motivates them uh, and, and what makes them want to get out of bed in the morning. Um, so the more you learn about what they desire, the faster you can take advantage of those motivators and move the group forward uh, towards a common goal while also moving your charges towards theirs because you're not just concerned with mission accomplishment. You also want to professionally develop those people that are working for you and you can do both as soon as you find out these motivators and you start exploiting them uh, that's going to professionally develop them and it's going to boost their performance in general which it helps the organization move forward towards mission accomplishment so it's a win-win uh, if you're doing it correctly uh, now that we've we're through that i think the part that most people battle with are how you fix demotivated people. So uh, the questions that I got that kind of made this topic one of the first kind of, I don't know, we're on five, so the first half dozen that I wanted to do was, uh, hey, chief, I'm in charge of a small watch section, uh, and I've got a bunch of people that are not motivated to do anything. I can't get them to, to fulfill their, their duties. I, I tell them to do something and they just ignore me or blow me off or they do a crappy job or, or whatever it is. Well, you know, how do I fix that? Like, what, what do we do about that? Um, and so it's going to sound easier than it is as I explain it. And it's, it's not easy. And I don't, I'm not trying to portray that. Um, but so don't get discouraged by slow progress because, uh, you know, sometimes you might be able to turn someone around quickly, but the majority of the time, if somebody's demotivated, it's going to take time to fix that and win them back over and gain their trust. So just keep pushing and then just rinse and repeat the process as you go. Um, don't give up on them. Don't ever give up on them. That's something that's, I'm going to tell a story about that later, but there, there's no such thing as a lost cause. I mean, there's some that you might not be able to fix. But eventually, somebody's going to get through to them. So, so don't get, don't give up on them. So get to know them. And I've mentioned that earlier, uh, and in previous episodes, and in this one, just take the time to get to know the people that work for you. Ask questions. Find out what they like and dislike about their workplace and about what they do for a living. You know, like find out what they like and dislike for lunch. Like just find out what makes them tick. Like what makes that person that person. What. You know, what's their frame of reference? What motivates them? What what do they want to get out of the Navy? What do they want to get out of their time on board that ship? What are they trying to learn? Uh, and whether or not that pertains to their job on a daily basis or not. Um, find out and help them get to where they want to be, however it makes sense to do that. It's all these tiny little steps towards understanding they're going to help gain that trust and kind of begin to rehabilitate the relationship that that person has with leadership. Because if they're demotivated to perform, that's usually based on some kind of distrust they have for the organization or the previous leader or, or what have you. So it, something, something happened that put them in that place. They didn't show up that way. So you got to try to figure out why and rebuild that relationship and don't lash out at negativity. Uh, when someone is demotivated uh, you can be punished for the damage inflicted by someone else. Basically, uh, you can you can be the brunt of their frustration, and, and um, they can lash out at you. You're being punished for something that's not your fault. But in order to get past this, it's a burden you need to carry. As their leader, you need to be understanding and just recognize that you know that you're not the one that broke this person, but you're the one that's trying to fix them. And in order to get past that stuff, you kind of, you have to just accept that sometimes you're going to have to kind of let them get it out, you know, and you may be the one that, uh, that has to absorb that. It's a burden you carry so that you can gain their trust so that they will understand eventually that you're not that person. Uh, and, and I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm not saying allow yourself to get beat up by somebody on a regular basis because poor them and it's not their fault that they're, that they're demotivated. I'm not saying that, but I am saying to a certain extent, you can't start arguing with them about it because you're going to lose them. Uh, I mean, kind of have, we've already kind of lost them based on whatever happened to them previously. So just understand that there may be a little of that, that you need to accept, um, and kind of let them get past that stage where they feel like they need to, to air their, their grievances with you, even though you're not the person that was in that position previously. Uh, and, and in allowing that, um, they're going to feel heard. Uh, they're going to feel better because they got it off their chest. Maybe you can help them work through those. And that's really valuable information to you as the person trying to motivate them because now you know what went wrong, uh, why this thing went off the tracks, 
and then it gives you very valuable a very valuable uh, starting place on, on how to fix it. So the next the next thing I want to talk about is letting them know that you care. And I'm not talking about being a hugger or getting all touchy feely. I'm not talking about that at all. Um, but we we've mentioned in previous uh, episodes that the people that you're leading they can tell if you care based on your actions and based on how you talk to them and and what you say to them uh so i'm not talking about being touchy-feely i'm talking about it like if you ask people who work for me uh what they think of me the general consensus is firm affair and you might get some different uh iterations of that but that's kind of like the general concept is is i'm not you know their BFF or anything, but uh, and a lot of times they, you'll even get something to the effect of he's kind of a pain in the butt, but he's always there for us when we need him and he takes care of us and so on and so forth. So that and that's the key that little butt, like, well, you know, God, he's such a you know, he's so hard on us and he's such a pain, but he's always there for us when we need him. And I know for a fact that if I ever need anything, I can go to him and he'll take care of us or whatever. Um, so let them know that you care. They, it, they're going to know that you care. You, it'll help you actively address the issues they had with a previous leader. So demonstrate that you care and include them in things. Treat them as equals with the rest of the group through taking time to develop them, but also by including them in important tasks and then holding them accountable for proper completions of those tasks. Uh, develop their ownership in the process and they'll feel like they're part of the team. So you can't sit around and complain that somebody's not doing something that you want them to do or they're not performing uh, and then kind of marginalize that person. If you want to recover them and bring them back into the fold, you have to treat them like they're part of the team, like they're a valuable part of the organization. Uh, And as you kind of repair the damage, pretty soon you're going to turn around and they are going to be a valuable part of the organization because you've treated them that way. Uh, And so I kind of mentioned before I was going to tell this story. Uh, When I first showed up to my current duty station, and I mean, like, first walked in the door, and I walked by a cubicle, and there's this uh, second-class petty officer sitting uh, in this cubicle, and, and I, you can just look at this guy and tell that he's demotivated, borderline, like, depressed, and he's just sitting there trying not to fall asleep. Like, I, and I was kind of, it kind of immediately made my the, the hair on the net, back of my neck stand up, like, what is going on? But I kind of walked by, and I'm like, I got to check in, I got to do what I got to do here and, and get through that stage. But then I started asking questions. I was, I was like, who, who is this kid? Like, what is he doing? And uh, the answers I got were really disturbing. They were, you know, oh, well, uh, he's just, you know, he's a guy that uh, just marches students back and forth, and, and that's what he does. I'm like, okay, well, what does he do in the eight hours between marching students back and forth? And they're like, oh, well, he takes photos for us sometimes. I'm like, what? Where is this? Where did this kid come from? Like, why is he here? And uh, basically, the answer I got was, eventually, someone told me, well, he's not allowed to be around the students. I'm like, well, why is he not allowed to be around the students? Oh, well, he's just not. One of the the chiefs said he wasn't, so he's just not. And so I just, I I started to lose it. I was just like, why is this kid where he is? What is going on? And I couldn't get a straight answer from anybody. And and by the time I got to this point of this, like, boiling over in frustration, I got moved over to run the, the NMT program over at the barracks. And uh, when I got over there, the first thing out of their mouth was like that we don't have a lot of support. We need more bodies. And so I walked back over to the schoolhouse and said, hey, and this guy's at LS. And I said, hey, LS2, come with me. <laughs> you're, you're, you work for me now because you're obviously not doing anything over here. They don't want you over here. So come with me. You're, you work for me now. Uh, and so I took him over uh, to my building and put him to work and treated him like he was a valuable part of the organization and talked to him and, and tried to find out. You know what motivated the kid? Where was he at? Why? Why was he in the position that he was in? And and we talked and found out what his issues were and and wore, actively worked on them. And he ended up uh, higher tenure out of the Navy, which broke my heart because I feel like if I would have got to him sooner, I could have done more. Uh, as I'm sure we always do. You know, we always think we can do more. But the moral of the story for me, and and he's doing great. And I, I mean, he's uh, since transitioning out of the Navy, he's he's doing really really well in the civilian workforce and, and doing all these great things he's an active reservist he, he's he's doing just fine the thing for me is everybody just was hands off and nobody wanted to take care of this kid and it's it's like as soon as he was treated like he was valued i mean this kid would have done anything i asked him to do uh he just was so happy that somebody finally cared enough to sit down and talk to him and find out what was going on with him? Uh, what do you need help with? What do you want to do? How do you want to do it? Uh, 
just did a, an amazing job with the students. I, I mean, there's not a lot I couldn't trust this kid with, if anything. I mean, I can't think of anything uh, that I wouldn't trust this kid to do. That's why it was it was so rough when it didn't work out and and uh, we couldn't get him to stick around in the Navy. But I mean, he's still part of the Navy as a reservist, and I and I hope he gets the opportunity to come back uh, on active duty and finish his career. But the the point I'm trying to get at is there's no such thing as a lost cause. Like everybody was looking at this kid like he was a lost cause, and they were just sitting around waiting for somebody to get rid of him. And it was like it didn't make sense. It was like why? Like this kid has value to offer. Take the time to talk to him, figure out what it is, motivate him to do it, and then make him a valuable piece of the organization. And it wasn't like he didn't want to. He wasn't showing up to work every day thinking to himself that, well, I don't want to do it, or this sucks, and this is crap. And, and based on the backstory, which I'm not going to, you know, there's a lot of other stuff I'm not going to get into because it's personal and I wouldn't do it without his permission, but I mean... This kid could have quit. Like this kid could have shut it down, took his ball and went home and I wouldn't I wouldn't have blamed him. But he didn't. He showed up every day with a positive attitude even though he wasn't, you know, he's very demotivated and demoralized. But I mean, you know, as soon as I as soon as I took some time with him, he turned right on immediately. And, and it just kept getting better and better and better until the day he got out of the military. And it hasn't stopped since. Because like I said, he's doing great outside of the military. And so there's no such thing as a lost cause. Take the time. Like if they're wearing our uniform to work, take the time. I don't care if everybody that you asked about this kid said he's a dirtbag and he's not worth your time. And just he they should have flushed him and he shouldn't even be here and he doesn't deserve to be here or she or whoever we're talking about. I don't care if the whole world pointed at him and said he's a lost cause. Until you go down that road and find out that you that you, you know you pour everything you can into him and, and the person doesn't respond and there's nothing else you could have done, then it's then it's crap. Like it's not. There's no such thing as a lost cause. I I, I refuse to believe that. Take the time to pour into that individual and give them that chance. And then if they choose not to seize it, hey, that's their choice. But they're making that choice. So that's why when I say there's no such thing as a lost cause, it's there's somebody out there that can turn them on and and get their brain engaged and get them motivated. It may not be you, and 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 that's okay. Uh, maybe you can help find that person. Maybe you can ask pe- other people for help uh, and try and get them pointed in the right direction. But try because you might be that person. And when you are, you want to talk about the most rewarding thing. I, I mean, I'm going to tell that story until the day I retire and beyond. That's one of the most rewarding experiences I've had in the, in my military career was getting to encounter this kid. Uh, and getting to be the it was it was an honor for me to be the person that that got to take care of him. So I'm done with that rant now. So uh, so after letting them know that you care, which is what we were just talking about. In case I ran it too long and you already forgot, uh, is so exploit the motivator. Find out what motivates them and then exploit it. Can find their motivator, and it's generally not terribly difficult to find at least one big one. Because like I said, there's a dominant one, and and then there's some some subsets there. It's not terribly difficult to find at least one and then exploit it push that button until your finger gets sore like just continually exploit that motivator it helps develop them and it moves the organization forward so like we're some of our parts and if each individual's contributions go up the overall productivity of the organization goes up the first chief i had on my very first shore duty i i went there to get out of the navy and clock out i, I was not a guy that was ironing in my uniform and was super motivated to be there I was there to get a culinary degree and separate from the military. I was there to get second class petty officer pay and keep my health insurance uh, while I went to school. And so when I got there, uh, my very first chief kind of took some time to figure me out and read me like a book. And then when we had a, an inbound class of A school students that were going into watch sections, they were coming straight from A school to the space galley, he recognized that if he put me in charge of a watch section, I couldn't underperform like I, I couldn't I wasn't in charge of anybody previously I was just a worker bee so it was fine I didn't care I, I just clocked in clocked out and went home but he recognized that if he put me in that position I was going to rise to the occasion and he did and I did and it, it was he figured out what motivated me and and he knew that if I was in a leadership position and I was the example to these junior kids that I could not underperform like I couldn't sleep at night if I was a bad example of these kids because he figured out that that was a big deal to me 
So, I mean, it drove me nuts that he figured me out like that, but he did. And so when he put me in that position, uh, I completely turned, turned around. I was very, very motivated to take care of these kids, uh, to teach them the right way of doing things, to make sure they didn't have to go through some of the negative experiences I went through. And it's part of the reason I'm still in the Navy. I, I credit him considerably with, with what he did for me on that shore duty. And in doing so, I, you know, I credit him almost a hundred percent with keep with me even being here right now. Uh, and hopefully that's a good thing. Hopefully you're not sitting here rolling your ass. Um, like I wish you would have let him go, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, th- that's an example that I lived through of somebody figuring out my motivator and then exploiting it. And even though at the time I felt like I didn't want that, I needed it. And it was something that by exploiting that it professionally developed me because when I left there, I was a number one EP first class or number two, something like that. I can't remember. But <laughs> being as junior as I was, I mean, I was like a seven-year first class, and I was I was one of an EP. I was an EP out of a group of like thirty-nine first classes on that base, which is nuts for me. Uh, and it, going from where I started there to where I ended there, I mean, I I would have never guessed it. I actually remember running into one of my previous cops from my first boat, and his jaw hit the floor. So he he exploited my motivators to to professionally develop me, but then it made the organization better because I was impacting a watch section of like eight people uh, that I was developing, and and most of them were those new A school students. Um, so it, it it professionally developed me. It made me better, but then it made the organization better and more productive because I was a good leader for that watch section. And I, the only reason I was that person is because he found my motivator and he exploited it. So. Summary time. So we talked about, uh, I defined motivation. So I gave you the, de- the desire that someone has to do something and then the reasons that they have for doing it. And they're, and they're linked. Uh, understand what motivation is and then the types of motivation. Uh, so we talked about external and internal motivations and gave some of those examples. Uh, and, but one is not better than the other. And generally people uh, are, are, are kind of like a, a blend. And so you've got to figure out you know, what motivates them? There's going to be a dominant one. What are some of the other motivators? Because maybe you can't satisfy one of them, but you can satisfy the other. So, so dig into that and figure out what those motivators are, because as soon as you figure them out and you, it's not that hard to do to at least figure some of them out. As soon as you figure them out, you can start exploiting them and getting that person to turn back on and getting that person moving in the direction that you want them to move. And we talked about how to repair someone that's demotivated, right? So get to know them. Take the time to get to know them because that in and of itself might be why they're demotivated because they thought no one cared. And then then showing them through getting to know them and, and any other way that you possibly can demonstrate to them, you know, by making them feel included, by training them, by putting them in positions to succeed that you genuinely care about them uh, and then develop them by exploiting that motivator. uh, Like we just talked about, it'll professionally develop them and it'll move the organization forward. Uh, So this is a gap for most people. Motivation, just understanding the motivators, right? Your individual leadership style is not a one size fits all. All right. Uh, You might have this leadership style that you think is the greatest thing ever and that you think it works and it's awesome. and, And it's, it's such an amazing thing, but if the people you're leading don't respond to it, then it doesn't work. So you have to adapt to that style. And I'm not saying the style's bad because most of the time it's based on your personality and it's what is comfortable and you, it, it's what works for you. But you need to be open and willing to adapt that leadership style to the motivators of these people. Because if you're not, it's not going to work. Okay. And everyone's not going to respond. You might get one out of 10, but if you adapt that style, so still have the same style, but adapt that style to the motivators that you discover in these people so that you can get as much as you possibly can out of each individual, then you're going to be successful. And you need to pay attention to those motivators, get the feedback as you, as you work through this with those people. Uh, and adapt that style. Be willing and open to adapt that style to your audience uh, so that you can exploit those motivators and you can move everybody forward. Understand that because it's something that it's so big because, you know, motivation, it's, it's more important than most leadership topics uh, in almost every situation, because I can teach you tools, like I can teach you leadership tools uh, and all these great things, like how to be a good listener, right? But if you're not motivated to listen, then you're not going to do it. Uh, so understanding motivation is huge because no matter how, how good you may be at something, you're not going to do it if you're not motivated to do it. So take the time to really wrap your mind around motivation and figuring out what motivates people, even before you're in your first junior level leadership position, and then define your own. This is, this is something I didn't want to wrap up without talking about is understand what motivates you. 
because if you're not motivated to lead and to take care of these people, all of this is is pointless. All of everything, everything we just worked through is all for naught. So take the time to understand your own motivators and what you need to take do to take care of yourself and keep yourself motivated uh, so that you're on top of things, so that you're taking care of these sailors, so that you're t- going and talking to them, uh, doing what you need to do to demonstrate how much you care, uh, and then exploiting those motivators and you're motivated to continue to do those things because it's a lot of work it's a lot of work to pay attention to all these people that are not you and to take the time to work through everything they need to work through and especially re-motivating demotivated people it's a lot of work so make sure that you are taking the time to keep yourself motivated because if you can't stay motivated to lead and develop your team it will reflect in them they're going to be a direct reflection of their leadership like they're always watching you and they're going to do what you do. It's like, it's like watching little children behave, right? Uh, they're always going to watch you and then they're going to reflect that behavior. All right. Because they're following your example and they don't miss much. So ensure that you're taking care of yourself and finding ways to keep yourself motivated to be the best possible leader that you can be. Because, you know, like we always say, they are absolutely entitled to it. And with that, that's the whole show. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know it was long, um, but it's a very, very important topic like we talked about. Uh, and then, like I always tell you guys, if you have any questions, please don't be shy about getting a hold of me. And that's all I got for episode five. Uh, stay motivated out there. Don't give up the ship. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.